You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Uh, like me, you guys, um, in like 2015 or so, uh, I got on that little internet site and took that Enneagram test and uh, got defined, you know, by uh, my number. Just figured out my whole reason for existence, what I do, why I do what I do. People are, you know, you read that article and you're just like, why? Did my mother write this? Why did my, like, how did they know so much about me? Uh, I am, as it stands, a uh, three on the Enneagram. I'm an achiever. And so I I don't know what the counselor would tell me. It just means that uh, I like things to work. I like things to be fast, efficient. I like them to improve, uh, that that kind of a thing. Um, For a little while, I thought I was a two on the Enneagram. I have like the wing of the two. Uh, one time, me and Kyra got in a fight, and she said, you couldn't be a two. You're the least helpful person I know. <laughs> so I'm still recovering from that. It was literally enough. I just packed my bags and moved over to the three and uh, never looked back. <clears throat> never looked back. Um, I, love, I love things to be fast, efficient, and clean. I like things to work. Um, when the iCloud came out on the phone, I just could not have felt better. I just love when you put in that the ballet recital is whatever on your iPad and it shows up on your phone and then your Google Calendar, and it's just like all at once. I'm a very forgetful person, and so like, I just love the ability for like, there to be multitasking across your, uh, uh, across your devices. Um, I've read quite a few, uh, not exactly proud to admit it, quite a few self-help books in my life. I've read a lot of Stephen Covey's and uh, Jim Collins, the business, business stuff, I listen to Craig Rochelle. The Atomic Habit, Boil the Frog, you know, all that stuff. I'm into it, man. I'm into the 5 a.m. club. I'm into the programs and the systems. I love, I love that. I love effectiveness, all these types of things. Uh, truly, though, this is my opinion. This is not, this is Oliverology. This is not from the Bible. Um, I, I just, I don't think, and this is going to, you might judge me for this because it's not the coolest, slickest book to talk about, you know. But I, I just, I, all these leadership books and all the things, it really, to me, comes down to the, the seven habits of highly effective people. I just cannot... I can't, I can't read a book, and I'm like, but Covey already said it back in the 80s or whatever he did. Um, the inner world, the outer world, first things first, begin with the end in mind, be proactive. Like, every, every book I pick up, I'm like, this is what we're talking about. This is exactly it. Then there's the outer world, synergy, seek to understand. I feel like just some of these I learned, like, last year, and I'm like, Covey, you knew this already. I wish I would listen to you. Synergy, sharpen the saw, all that stuff. It's just, just great. Jim Collins, I mean, honestly, it's like when you look at the Jim Collins book, which is the best, like, business organization book, it all comes back to those, those principles to some degree or another. And so anyways, I'm loyal. I'm loyal to the Kobe thing. And so as we, as we swing into uh, uh, Romans this morning, in Romans chapter 5, uh, what we've done is we've turned a corner uh, in the book uh, into a new section uh, that is fundamentally uh, about gospel change. And so if you look at the, the layout of the book, really chapters 1 through 4 is about the gospel saving us, justification by faith alone. And from that platform, we are starting off in in, in what justification means in terms of peace with God. And we're, we're leaning into uh, being born, born in Adam, born, born a slave to sin and becoming a slave to righteousness. And then Romans 7, when he gets into that whole um, uh, schizophrenic fight with himself about why he's continuing to be a sinner. And then Romans 8, which turns into, you know, the great glorious explanation of our, um, our forwardness towards our future with Christ. We're in, a, we're in a section right now that begins about how we change, uh, how, we, how we grow in Christ. And, uh, and I love Paul. He's a simple man. He keeps it pretty simple. And there's really one habit uh, that Paul 
talks about uh, pretty much from the beginning through all the chapters. You guys want to know what it is? There's one habit. There's one thing that an individual believer uh, or a church or a parent or a father, like if, if, if we're here to grow into the stature of Christ, grow into conformity of the image of his son, then the one thing we want to make sure to do really well, as much as we possibly can, is to boast in Christ. To boast in Christ. Like if, if you start a church, you know you get a preacher, and then the second hire of the church is a big deal, like you've got another full-time person. So really the question becomes, like, should we hire a worship pastor? Because that's a big deal, Sunday, we're going to worship. Or should we hire a children's pastor? Because kiddos don't teach themselves. They're down there getting discipled. You need a children's pastor. Do you get a youth pastor? Like this is usually the first couple questions that you ask. And it's like almost like Paul's saying, no, the first person you need or the first ministry you need in a church before even children and youth and all these other things is boasting. Like the first foundational premise of how, how the church would go about its days on this earth is learning how to boast because, and he's actually been talking about boasting, at least in the beginning, in negative context in Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3, uh, because when we boast, we're not just talking about what entertains us, we're talking about what saves us. So you're going to show up to the supermarket, and there's going to be something you're really excited about celebrating. The word boasting could be equivalent to celebrating. This new diet that you have, or this new children's book that's just awesome, or this new account that you're following, or this new awesome leader that just got it all right in the ways that nobody else got it right. And what you're really doing, you're not just celebrating what you like, you're actually in a secret, in a quiet way, somewhat celebrating what you trust. What will bring you home? What will make it right? What will make things new and efficient and clean? That model is attractive to you because it's something that you can get your hands around that can promise you salvation. But Paul's here to say it can't. And essentially what we're doing from glory to glory, one step into the next, is we are learning to, as we move forward, cast our idols that we might boast in Christ. And the one that is closer and closer to the finish line is growing closer and closer to trust less and less in their idols and boast more and more in Christ. And so he wants to tell you today in this chapter, if there's anything that you're going to get good at, any habit that you're going to see your mind transformed and your heart renewed and so forth, is to become a good boaster. Do you know how to boast in your Savior? Do you know how to boast in Christ to yourself when you're down, when you're out, when you're low, when you're tired, when you're, when you're prideful? Do you know how to boast to your family, to your kids? Do you know how to boast about his reputation and the work of the cross in your life? This would be an imperative ministry. And so the reason why he says you and I um, have not only um, the right but the responsibility to boast is because we have something today uh, and he's going to use this, drive it all the way through 5 through 8, something today called the hope of glory. Have you ever heard of that before, the hope of glory? The hope of glory is a place that we stand, and it's not based on works, it's based on God's grace. And, and there's a respect here, because it's not, grace is not God's couch. Grace includes forgiveness, no doubt, but grace is more than just forgiveness. Grace is God's grip on your life. And it's not based on our grit. It's not our, based on our ability to hold ourselves to the hope. It's based on his grip. And because of his grip, his hold on your life and the place that you stand, he will never not be with you. He will never not be in you. And he'll never not be for you. The hope of glory, hope in the biblical sense is not wishful thinking for a positive result. Hope is waiting on certainty. 
It's closing doors and opening doors and proceeding with a definitive knowledge of what your future holds. It is a anchor, it is a hope, it is a certain future that you're waiting on. It's not a birthday candle. Secondly, the word glory does not mean trophies so much as it means crowns. So that's what Psalm 8, we read it in the prayer meeting this morning. Who are, you, who are we, oh man, that, or, you know, who are we, oh God, that you would crown little children and infants with your glory? Like in heaven, the finish line is not frolicking around. It's reigning with Christ. And he's got to get you ready to reign in Christ through his grip. When you're wandering, when you're weary, when you're fickle, when you're tired, his grip is on you. And he will never not be with you, never not be in you, never not be for you. And so the way that he prepares royalty for the future is not through pampering, but through perseverance. And so there's three kind of um, how much more arguments. Have you ever heard Paul say how much more? He'll give you this kind of earthly metaphor. How much more? Like if there's earth, think about heaven. You know, that's how he does it. And, um, and basically, um, it's for all three of those things, in and for and with. If he's in you, if he's for you, if he's with you, this is how we might boast, then who can be against us? Look at Romans 8. This is where we're headed towards the end of the next couple weeks. But this is our hope of glory, not just winning friends and influencing people and having our iCloud work and getting the kinds of salvation that our world pines after. No, we have a different kind of a salvation, a different kind of grip on our life. And Romans 8.38 says, This is true of your future, with certainty and not with wishful thinking. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you. Are you in Christ today? Are we in Christ? Is his grip secure today? Then nothing can separate us from the love of God. He is in us. We have never known a day when he is not for us. And as he says to the older son, didn't you know I'm always with you and everything that I have is yours? He is with us and for us and in us for all of eternity, for all of our future. And so therefore, let's, let's have a little boasting lesson. If there's one ministry that cannot grow dead in the middle of a church, before you get prayer ministry growing, before you get women's ministry going, you need a boasting ministry. And the boasting ministry is this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, come on, if you can boast, who can be against us? That's boasting. That's growth. That we continue on as we, as we fade from, from this life and take one step out of this place and into the next, that he's continually perpetuating us, perpetually making us not ready to frolic into the future, but to rule and reign with him, to be restored to the image of God in Christ Jesus. And it's based on his grip. It's not based on your endurance. And so uh, let's read through each of these passages one by one and that we'd be encouraged uh, to boast today. This is what it says in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, it says uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast, we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in your sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. The perseverance begets character. And character, it's got a whole lot of hope in it. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I used to teach uh, history and, um, you know, the Roman government, which was uh, so prolific, owning, what, 
of the globe under its boot during this time, um, has a lot of actual parallels uh, into the pas- passage this morning when it comes to vocabulary. This passage, I don't think of another passage that has more Christianese in it than I've heard in my life. This just sounds like a prayer that I pray when I don't know what to say. We just have grace, and Lord, give us the hope and the glory and the sufferings and the perseverance and the characters. It's just got all these kind of abstract theological concepts that, that uh, sometimes feel too lofty for us to really understand, and maybe we just pray in the Spirit and trust that God handles the rest. But for the fact that the language that is being used uh, to us today seems like kind of heavily, heavenly and lofty, it was very real, very visceral, very gritty uh, for the Roman um, Christians back then. Um, in fact, uh, there was, according to the, uh, the campaign banner of the uh, powers that be, of the empire of Rome, there was a, a peace that was promised. And we knew exactly what it meant, the Pax Romana. Through the iron fist of Rome, that peace was going to be ushered in through Caesar, that there's going to be a salvation through Caesar, and uh, you could be justified to him, and that he would have a gospel, an Ulangelian that would come in whenever they would conquer a new territory, that there's good news that Caesar ruled over that new area, and therefore peace was following him. And, and you could become a part of you know, uh, that movement across the, 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 uh, the earth. Guess what? By one thing, by, by pistis, by faith, by allegiance to Caesar, you could be saved. And so when you walked into, into Rome, there would be these streets. There was this one, uh, I think his name was Cassius, uh, emperor who, who had this road of about 120 miles long with um, 6,000 crucifixions on this road of, of Spartans and slaves and different people that crossed the Roman Empire the wrong way, as if to say, as you came into the, the path into the city, don't you dare stand against this peace because <laughs> we are making it peaceful around here. And by faith, and by faith, by pistis, uh, you could exalt the, uh, the Roman emperor and uh, find the peace that's offered. But in the backwoods of, of, uh, of Galilee, there was, another, there was another king that nobody paid much recollection at all. Instead of crucifying his enemies on the cross, he took the cross for his followers and invited all people to be justified through faith, the good news of the gospel, that anyone that could accept Jesus by faith could live and, uh, and be free. And so really, it comes down to the cross. It comes down to what do you think of when you think of the cross, because the cross for Caesar was always branded as shame. But for Jesus, the cross is glory. There's a point in John chapter 12 when the water gets hot for Jesus, and he heads his, heads his face towards Jerusalem, and he, he tells his disciples, you know the hour that I keep talking about? why I'm not going into the temple and why I'm not preaching real loud messages and why I'm being secret and why I'm not being public. My hour was waiting, but now it's come. My hour's come to be glorified. I've come to be lifted up and draw all nations to myself, and so I was waiting for a long time, but now the wait is over. Now I'm coming into Jerusalem to be glorified. And if a little seed were to fall on the ground and died, it would just be a seed, but it fell into the ground, it would multiply into many kernels of wheat, And so the Son of Man can't be obedient without being glorified. And all throughout the rest of John, he continues to talk about glorification, glorification, the crowning of the Son. Jesus' throne was not in some lofty political scheme somewhere else in in, in the middle of Rome. His throne was the cross, that his execution was his exaltation, that his suffering was his glory. And so America itself, I don't know if you know this, uh, spends $600 billion a year on pain medication. Did you know that? 
um, that one of the major markets in our country is to figure out how to avoid pain. And pain's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, pain will teach us to not touch the stove, and pain will teach us to be honest to our spouses and to our employees and so forth, right? But not all, not all pain, if we're listening to this passage well with ears to hear, not all pain is bad. That the, the glory, the way that God talks about glory, the elevation came from demotion and death. It came from a dead wheat seed that fell on the ground. And so what Paul is telling us is that our suffering is never for our shame in Christ. It's only for our glory. He is only using our good times and our bad times to shape us and mold us into, into the image and stature of Christ. And so um, I, I have more and more of a fear these days of, of, of water and water sports. Um, I just think like, I've I've swam for 10 minutes and just realized, like, you could just be an Olympian and you're going to die out there in Lake Jocassi if you don't have a life jacket on. So I'm like, I used to be that guy that's like, life jackets, that's for losers. And I'm like, putting life jackets on my dog now. I'm like, I've seen my sunglasses. They don't come back up. Like, we need to get some life jackets on here, you know? And so if you look at that chain reaction right there in the middle of the thing, like suffering the myth, of, the myth of humanity is like what doesn't kill us make us stronger, makes us stronger. But the gospel is, it's who's in us that makes us stronger. It's the circumstance around us that points us towards the inner character that's blooming up inside of us. Not only so, we glory in our sufferings. This is how God glorifies people. It's not through pampering. It's through perseverance, right? So what he does is, he straps a Holy Spirit life jacket on you, and watch what happens. Now when you suffer, it used to tow you under, but now every time you fall down, every time it knocks you down, you seem to just buoyantly get back up again. Have you ever wondered that? Is that because of your grit? Is that because of seven habits of highly effective people that you got up this morning? Have you ever gone to bed broken and shamed and full of pride and full of lust and It might be a day, it might be weeks, it might be months, but somehow you just keep lifting back up again. Did you do that to yourself? Did you lift yourself up? Or is it proof that the Spirit is inside of you? The suffering used to kill you, but it's promoted perseverance in you to show you that you don't lift yourself, that he's lifting you up. The same way as Jesus would fall to be raised up, that suffering has led to glory, so it is that suffering leads to perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope, This is the hope that we have that anything that will knock us down is not greater than the spirit within inside of us. And it continually, perpetually lifts us up. And so this is how we might boast to ourselves, to our friends, to the mirror, to our enemies today, both spiritual and maybe seen, is that if Christ is in me, then who can be against me? Am I so afraid of a relational conflict that somebody might reject me that I'm gonna back off boasting in Christ today? That's not what the Spirit of God comes in me to do. He hasn't come inside of me to make me afraid of pain. He hasn't come inside of me to make me escape into my iPhone and into my drinking and into my distractions to make me think that there's some salvation outside of that. There is no no glorification, right, without without perseverance. And what he's saying is the Spirit inside of you is a buoyant life jacket and nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God and therefore nothing, nothing can can push you down that the Spirit will not lift you back up again. And so there, there isn't a fear of confession anymore. I'm not afraid of what you would think of me. That's not what the Spirit of God has come inside of me to, to, to give me, a spirit of confidence and boldness. He's not given me a fear of what you might think of me. No, I want freedom and healing more than I want hiding. 
Because the Spirit of God is buoyant in me. It will raise me up. It will lift me up, and I can trust it's not by my grip, but by his grip that I will be raised up again, both in life and after death. I'm not afraid of your correction. I'm not afraid of being humble. I'm not afraid of being wrong. I'm not afraid of pain. Pain is the place where glory is made. Pain is the place where my head is being prepared for for royalty. I've got a long eternity ahead of me, and I want to be prepared. I want his, his mercy and his spirit to prepare me from the inside out. The second thing uh, that Paul talks about is the love of Christ. In in verse 6, he says, you see, at just the right time, uh, we were powerless. We didn't know what was going on. We were in our own compass. We were upside down. We were our own worst enemy. We were running from God. We weren't finding him. At that time, Christ died for us. Remember that? The order of priorities. Sequence of events. Verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, says Paul, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But... But God dies for his enemies. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was watching a great uh, 2015 Brad Pitt movie named Fury, and I got through with it. I was on Monday morning. I just want to run through a wall. That devotion went on for an hour and a half. Timothy was like, chill, dude. I know that you're excited about whatever it is you saw in that movie. There's something about a good soldier like dying for his friend. I mean, especially in a time like this when everybody's so me, 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 my, my, mine, and somebody just like lays their life down for a friend. God says that the reason why we're coming awake to that inside, outside of the church is because that's God's Webster for love. That's what love is. Love starts at sacrifice. Love, love starts at, at laying your life down for somebody else. And so he's keying into another Roman analogy here, the, 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 the picture of the noble soldier, the soldier that would lay down his life and die, you know, for his general, it's a beautiful picture. And, and, and what he's saying here is this, is that everybody, even evil people, right, would understand that laying down your life for a friend would look like love, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, is that God would die for the Germans. God dies for his enemies while we were still sinners. He died for us. You see? Remember who you're dealing with here. And so, and so he's taking this, this argument and he's saying, hey, if this is how, God, how much God loved you, if it's when you were a sinner, when you were pressing down that crown of thorns on his head, when he was getting the cat of nine tails, you know, whipped on him 40 lashes minus one, when he was getting spat at and jeered and he died for you, how much more will he love you in your life? My dear mom, Marsha, she was a sweetheart. You need a mom like Marsha. She used to write a little note to me with her carrots and celery every day. I tell her not to do it. All the people are laughing at me. Everybody on the basketball team is laughing at me. My coach is making fun of me. She'd still do it. Love you, XOXO, Marsha. Love you, love you. Write it in there. My dad, I talk about him sometimes. Cam Chow, he's the bull in the china shop. Eight on the Enneagram, about 5'8". Larger than life, lion in the heart. And uh, he used to come in, dude, into public school, and they would tell him, and he'd pretend like he didn't understand him, like he didn't understand the English or whatever. And he'd just charge on through. And he would go and get your boy McMuffins in the middle of public school lunch. Everybody else had that scissor pizza, like they had that big square and cut everybody's pizza all crooked, and dad would come in and be like, McMuffins, and drop it, and just like walk out. And it was just like, it's just something about dad loves you, you know? And, and so I think what Paul is trying to get across, like there's a difference between loyalty and love. Like loyalty is duty, but love cares. I was reading in John, like he, it says like he wept for Lazarus. And, and it's like, he was not only motivated to weep at the death of Lazarus, but he was motivated by the tears of his sisters, Martha and Mary, weeping over the death of their brother. Like, he doesn't just come here out of simple obligation and duty. He, he's here because his heart's here. 
because he cries with you and he mourns with you and he laughs with you and he rejoices in you. Like, when we see God, I just like want you to get a picture of this. Like, think about this. God, to provide a perfect atone of sacrifice, could have just sent a perfect dude down here. He could have made a martyr in his image, but he didn't send a martyr. He sent his son because he wants to know not just what he did, but why he did it. And he wanted to suffer with you and bear with you and pray with you and empathize with you as a good high priest would do. And so he sent himself. You think about like how much money you'd spend on a Super Bowl commercial to get your message across. He has one opportunity to say one thing about who he is, who his character is, what he's like. What does God do to show the world what he's like? He puts himself in a man and gets crucified. If only to say this, that he's not just here for loyalty, he's here for love. That he loves you and me, that he cares about you and me and where we are. He's saying, if, if Jesus Christ has come to this earth to be crucified and raised up on the third day, and if he's for you, then who on earth can be against you? You think that a, a couple looks at a computer screen? You think that something that you put into your body is going to separate you from the God that died for you? Remember who you're dealing with. Remember who you're listening to. It was while you were a Nazi that he came down into the flesh suit, not sending a messenger on his behalf, but by proximity died for you. And he's going to give up on you now. He loves you that much. He's going to give up on you now. If he's for you, then who on earth could be against you? Lastly, his death and resurrection, verse 9. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I just want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about um, a strong mountain man climbing up Mount Everest. I think it's the highest peak that I can think of. He gets all his pack together, and he puts all his stuff in the backpack, and he sweats it out, and he loses 20 pounds, and he gets all the mosquitoes, and he sleeps in the Eno for whatever amount of days, and he gets up there, and he's got a little flag in his hand, and all he has to do to succeed in his mission is cross these paces over that door and stick that flag in the ground. Do you think that man's going to climb all the way up that mountain and not walk the extra 20 paces across that grass to go put the flag in the ground? Many of you guys are, uh, are married in the room, and uh, you've saved up an ungodly amount of money for that ring, for that beautiful person that you want to offer the ring for. And you saved up, and you sweated, and you worked the third job, and you did all the work, and you had the ring in your pocket. What kind of a fiancé is going to go all the way out, get the date set up, and just decide, nah, change my mind, I'm going to turn around again? You're a dad, you've been working the five jobs, and you've been sweating, slaving away, and you skipped the 40-year-old midlife crisis car and you put everything away into the bank and you have the money in the bank and your daughter's ready to go to college. Are you going to go to Vegas? Man, if he's paid the price, why is he going to give the gift, right? He died for you. He shared his death with you. Is he not going to share his life? How much more, if an evil father would give a stone or a loaf of bread, does God want to pour out the Holy Spirit on your life? As if it's up to you. As if it's your gift to grab hold of rather than the gift that he has his hold on you. It's just the fruits of the Spirit aren't yours in a plethora of abundance right now. 
that love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and faithful self-growth is so much more true of you than anything that you've ever done in your life because it's about God's grip. If you are justified by Christ, then you are sanctified by Christ. And if you are sanctified by Christ, there's only one future, and that's glory in him. And so it's not up to you. It is up to him. And his grip is on your gift that he's giving to you. And so one of the things that's just so heart-rendering for a parent is to see a kid on the brink of their next step ready to quit. Oftentimes I've found that when the kid is on the brink of that next step, it's either fate or Murphy's Law or just the enemy incarnate that tries to get that kid to commit to quit what he's so close in getting. And I wonder what God's eyes would say on this room about some of the ways you're ready to quit today. If he died for you, is he not gonna give you his life? And I remember my dad, you know, I was... I had everybody convinced, you know, my first year of teaching, I just was exhausted. I was so tired, and I was so bad at it, and I just hated all of it. There's no money in it. There's just no point. I'm hurting. It's not any fun. I went down to one of these classrooms. Maybe you guys have been in this situation before. I'm tenderhearted, so maybe you guys are tough about this. But it's like they're in there talking to the other teacher about how awful I am. Mr. Wong is awful. He doesn't know what he's doing, and you know, the lady's like, it's okay, he's new, he's going to figure it out. He's just awful. And I had my speech ready. I had everybody's opinion. My wife, you know, Kyra's like, yeah, that place is, you know, everybody's on my, on my, on my team. Get out of there, man. You, got, you just, you got to go work at Starbucks. Go, go be a lawyer. Go do something else. You can't do this. And I was telling her, and I get on my dad, and I call him. I was like, dad, you wouldn't believe it. The teacher, da-da-da-da, and they said that I sucked and all this kind of stuff. And he just said, I got it on my old sob speech. He says, Wongs don't quit. He says, we don't quit. He says, and you're closer than you think. And this is the purpose. This is the point. This is the classroom where you're getting ready for your next thing. You can't miss this thing. And so I stuck it out. And that second semester was a little bit better than the first semester. But as you know, it takes a little bit of pressure to forge a little bit of confidence, to forge a little character, to see that buoyancy. If you're not put in waters deeper than you can swim, then how do you know how buoyant the spirit is? If you're too afraid of pain that you're swerving every single thing that looks like suffering, because we can with the many resources that we have in this world, that we don't trust the Spirit to walk us straight through it and give us the gift that he came to give us. That's how he prepares royalty. That's how he gets us ready to rule and reign. We're not frolicking in heaven. We're here to rule and reign with him, to have his likeness and his spirit. If evil fathers and parents would give people Xboxes and cars and all sorts of things, how much more would he give his spirit to you? the best gift that he's ever earned and the best gift he's ever given. And so the truth of the matter is, is that it's not what kills us ultimately that makes us stronger. It's the spirit that's inside of us. It's by his grip, not grip, not only that we are saved, but that we are changed, that we are sanctified from one glory to the next to be looking like him. And ultimately, our future destination, our future destination is to be the image of him. So I remember... um, just this last, I guess it was like three years ago now, I'm like hanging on to the past, running my uh, only marathon uh, down through uh, Spinks, the Spinks Marathon, starting in the old West End, through the baseball field, went all the way down. And uh, uh, Kyra had made me this uh, playlist that the, uh, the kids put like Weird Al Yankovic on it and like Lego Batman. And it just won't work, man. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a pithy Christian guy. Like, the only thing that I can listen to is worship because if there's any sense of ingratitude in my heart while I'm going... 
then my body has no gratitude in it. Like, my heart and my head better be grateful. And so I just remember, it was like, it was almost like this homecoming thing. We'd gone through a rough season, you know, ministry and life and stuff, and I just remember, it was almost like therapy. Like, I would hit all these corners and remember these memories and just be thankful for God just providing through perseverance and just providing for physically what he was doing for me in that particular moment, but also spiritually and even running by the property and seeing all that and, and being thankful for all the things that God was doing and, and, and would do and so on and so forth. And, and uh, every now and again, I would uh, pass by my kids and my chest would bow up a little bit more and I would just start running faster and further and love you, dad, love you, dad. I'm like, I love you. I'm like crying and, you know, having like a spiritual awakening moment. And uh, then there was mile 20. Uh, I was doing really great. Like, I was really surprised myself. I didn't train. I had, like, the flu right before that. And so um, I was running, like, eight-minute miles. I was doing real good, feeling great. Didn't stop. And then uh, eventually I had to pull over go to the bathroom. And that was the worst idea. Like, once I had stopped, like, I just needed all that momentum. And I got done going to the bathroom, and I was like, I can't feel my legs. Like, what? What's going on, you know? And so I remember, like, trying to run, and then I would stop, and I'd try to run. And I remember right underneath that bridge, my... Like, my feet, like, one of my things, I think I should have slept more or something and ate better, but, like, my feet just, like, crumpled up like little talons. And so I was just, like, literally just, like, running like this. Hey, pass my kids. Love you, too. And, dude, have you guys run this thing? They put, like, the stupidest hills at the end of this race. I'm like, are you crazy? Like, this bridge, I don't know what bridge this thing is, but it was just, it was, it was up. It was not, it was not flat. And so I walked it out. But, man, it was, like, I remember when we, when we closed it up and, and walked into the race, I saw my family and the in-laws came in and there was just like this, like, this, I don't know, like when the Grinch like lifts up that thing at the very end of the movie, just like this strength like came into me and I just started running in a way that I could never run before and, and cross that finish line. You know, the last mile was like another, you know, eight minute mile pace or at least a nine minute mile pace by that time. And I crossed the finish line. And I just say that like, can you imagine what it's going to be like to cross that finish line? To run a race with him and realize he was the wind at your back the whole time. He was the life jacket so close to you that he was showing himself to you, not just on the cross, but in your life, in your Tuesday. That he's in you more than you think. That his grip is so much stronger than you think. That his love is so much more abounding than you think. And I guess the choice is not whether or not we're going to run or whether or not God's going to succeed. It's just the choice, are we going to boast in him or not? Are we going to boast in some lesser, incompetent idol? Go through another self-help habit of this thing that I'm going to work on and this guy that I know and this thing. We're going to finally settle down and just say, you know what it is? I think it's his glory and his hope that's in me. I think it's his grip that's on me, that's pulling me along. It's not by me or by my works. It's by him and that we would continue to boast in him, that we'd have a boasting ministry in ourselves and among us and around us and to our neighbors, that we would continually boast in him. And so that's my question is like, what are you boasting in? We're talkers, man. We talk and we talk and we talk and we have advice. We're all celebrating something. You're going to close up and we're going to be happy about something. There's going to be good news, but is it his good news? I'm not saying not to celebrate things that are temporal, but to know where our hope is really founded, to know what his grip is really made of. Are we learning to boast in him? Are we learning to cast out our idols that we might boast in the confidence of the glory of God? And so I think the metaphor extends. I think it's not just about how we boast to ourselves, but it's how, it's how we boast to one another and how we continue to, to prophesy and to preach the gospel, not just to non-Christians, but to people in here. Do you know somebody today that's ready to give up? You know who he's, you know who he's sent and how he's prepared for them to come back to boasting? It's probably you. 
Do you know somebody who's, who's afraid of conflict? Maybe not for their own good. And they're, they're, they're telling themselves that maybe there's some other way, some other way to seek glory and to have the glory of, of God in their life. That's what Jesus prayed. How much more will we pray that, that we could avoid the pain for it? Maybe there'd be somebody today that you just tell them, like, if he's in you, what do you have to be afraid of? If that's how Jesus was enthroned, how is he going to see you lifted up as Jesus is lifted up other than through your, through your struggle right now? Like, this is not uncommon to man. There's somebody right now, even in this room, and you'll be able to see it in their eyes, they have screwed up so much this week to the thing that they promised themselves and their best friend and their spouse that they wouldn't do, but yet they still did it again. And they need to remember that the one who died for them is not giving up so easily. That if he dies for his enemies, how do you think he's going to treat his family? And somebody needs to hear that today, that you would boast in Christ in front of them like that, either in your life or on their behalf. There's somebody today that's ready to give up and they've forgotten that the gifts of the Spirit are irrevocable. And if they weren't, weren't, they wouldn't be gifts. They were purchased with a price. And if the mountain man can climb up a mountain for a flag, and if a husband can get a, his ring together and his act together to ask his wife and a dad can save up for college, how much more is God going to give the Holy Spirit? If he died for you, is he not going to share life with you? Is he going to get greedy now? That would be boasters first. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.